This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. This is the Coast and Country download from the BBC. You can find the terms and conditions on our website at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash radio 4. Today you can hear Open Country with me, Helen Mark. You come across this waterfall really quite by surprise. This is Glen Evan Waterfall, a 40-foot-high cascade of white water which shoots off the lip of the rock at the top of the hill and comes down in one long, steady stream all the way down into this bowl that it seems to have carved out for itself in the water. It is a beautiful sight. I'm in County Donegal for this week's Open Country I'm standing looking at this waterfall with landowner Michael Devlin and the story behind this waterfall is quite magical, isn't it, Michael? And you remember it long before it was a lovely walk up through the glen to see the water itself. That's right. I remember it from I was about 10 years of age. It was my first trip up here. I suppose I would never have come up here unless my father and mother pointed it out to me that not to come up here was very dangerous. Why was it dangerous? Well... According to my father, uh, there was a deep pool underneath the waterfall and they kept telling us that it was a, the water was the same depth under the waterfall as it was the depth of the fall coming down. <laughs> and if we dived into it, we could get caught underneath the rocks and it wouldn't ever come back out again. So. But it was really hidden away, wasn't it? Oh, it was hidden away. You know. Only young lads like ourselves and the neighbours would come up on odd Sunday to play. Cowboy and Indians would play. How did you get to it, though? Because we're bound on either side by really steep embankments, which must be about almost 100 foot tall. Aye, but that was the challenge, like. <laughs> that was the challenge. Ourselves and the neighbour lads would come down the side of the steep bankings, down through the bushes, like. The fact that we had such a gentle amble up to the waterfall is part of the story of this part of Inishon. And that's what I'm going to find out more about now. So, Michael, you and I can walk down together now along the edge of the stream as it winds its way through the valley, through the wonderful copses of birch trees that stand on either side of it, across the little bridges that mean you can crisscross the river as you're walking down. The interesting thing, Michael, is here we are in 2013 and as far as the city of Derry, Londonderry, which is... No distance from where we are now. Just half half an hour's drive. It's the UK city of culture. Yes. And thousands of people will come to visit the city and hopefully some will explore into the hinterland around the city itself and particularly here into County Donegal and the peninsula of Inishon. Yes. And for this week's programme, I've come to explore some of the places that local people and and I think that they should try and find for themselves on this peninsula. And we're starting with this one, this once hidden secret of Glenevan Waterfall. There was almost a whole generation that never came to the waterfall because it was so hidden was, away, even from the local community. Never mind correct. anybody else. That is correct. It wasn't accessible at all. Like, you know, as you can see around us here today, it was sheer cliffs down and very steep and rocky faces. Like. Mm-hmm. And I suppose only for the Doris would be still the same today. Well, let's and, find out about how it all happened. <laughs> when I was walking down the edge of the river with Michael, he mentioned Doris and he was referring to Doris Russo who has been the instigator of discovering this hidden gem of Glen Evan Waterfall. So the first thing, Doris, is you're from the United States of America. Mm. Yes. Where originally? 
New Jersey. New Jersey. You've still got the lovely accent. <laughs> and what brought you to, to Inishone in particular? Well, I travelled around Ireland a lot, and I liked this area the best. And I had met a friend here, and in the processes of starting to retire, my husband passed away. So she said, or she was from Derry, she says, why don't you come over here? So I said, well, I would if you found me an old house that I could redo and I could see the ocean and the mountains. So she found this house in the paper and it was the Glen House. It was for sale. I heard there was a waterfall up here, so I couldn't find it. And Michael said he'd take me up and find it. Well, you had to walk in the river on stepping stones through bracken up to your neck. It was really hidden. And I couldn't believe it. it was so beautiful. Nobody saw it. What a fall of water I it says, is. If you'd only make a little path, they could walk up. And he says, we'll get a fast scheme and we'll get workers and we'll make a path up there. And that's the... That was the start. That was the start. When did you start it? 1990, about 94, I think. And you brought in the government work assist scheme. The scheme, the fast scheme. Fast, yeah. And it was to employ the people that had been on schemes to re-educate them for a job or in some instances they were too old to get a job. But this waterfall and the walk up to it, it would be would it be about half a mile maybe? This is about a mile. It was tucked away, the local community, people like Michael, they, they knew about it but nobody went. No, there was no reason to go there. Don't forget times were very bad then. People didn't go out walking for their health like they do today. And there was no reason to come up here. You know, the younger ones didn't even know it was here. And the older ones were older and, you know, fight their way up for what? To see water coming down a hill? <laughs> to them, it had no meaning. And when you live with natural beauty for a long time, you don't see it. You came with fresh eyes, though, Doris. That, that made it easier. And it was a very gradual creation of an opening up to this it hidden waterfall. It was very slow and gradually in that sense. Every year we had a different crew. Every year they had ideas. Don't forget we had five to seven men working on it every year for 20 years. It's a lot of men. Everybody had input in it. Doris helped people open their eyes to their beautiful landscape, Michael. And you, you as a farmer, you've worked in this landscape. You were born and bred here your father before you possibly yes and my grandfather yeah. yes yeah. you never thought of creating a walk to the waterfall or walks over mountains it took Doris <laughs> took Doris here to do it why is that why I don't is know, that in a million years or whatever I thought about that now why just looked it by looked over it we didn't see the need and Michael was a, a major contributor in terms oh, of the land. You, as an, an Irish farmer, gave up land for this. Ah, well, the bottom, yeah. the, the bottom <laughs> half out there would be my land, like up the picnic, the bottom picnic area there. Then the upper half's common each year for several other farmers would have a say in it. Like Doris, being a stranger coming into this landscape here and living among us here, I would say that is one of the gems. And I think it's known all over Ireland now that about the Levin Waterfall and Doris's name's always attached to it, either at the beginning of it or the end of it. <laughs> and what have you got out of doing it, Doris? I believe everybody's put on earth to do something, to accomplish something. And this I feel I accomplished with the help of all the community, but it was something that I could give back. 
it's going to be here long, long after I'm gone. <laughs> Do you see the little trackway? If you just over the hedge, you can see a little trackway. It's a farmer's track, isn't yes, it's it? Yes, farmer's track. And if you look just above it, there's a bit of a raggy hedge. Mm-hmm. And then just to the left of that, can you see the stones sticking up? There's a whole bunch of stones there. That's called the Druid's Altar. And once you've been there, you'll be able to look back over here at the stone circle. So we're going to visit a stone circle. We are. And this is called Bokken? It's called Bokken, yeah. And I'm with Carrie Meehan. And I've come a little bit further along the northern edge of the Inishon Peninsula, as it were. So behind us, Carrie, I would still have the waters of the Atlantic in a way and, and the iconic Malin Head that we're very familiar with because of the weather forecast. The weather forecast, <laughs> the, most no- the most northerly point, absolutely. And that's the way out there, north northwest of mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. That's right. And Inishtrahul is another one, the little island that's way out beyond. Scotland, just over there. America, over there. <laughs> Pointing that way. So, across the... Well, we can't even see the ocean, but across that way. You mentioned stone circles, and we're going to this particular one. Now... Very often, if you travel around in other parts of, say, the United Kingdom, there would be a lot of signs pointing you to something like a stone circle. Well, I would never have found this if I hadn't been with you, Carrie. And yet it's an important um, aspect of Inishon. It's one of the many stories that you can tell about this peninsula. And here it is, almost hidden away from us. Totally. In some ways, some places have lost a little bit of their magic. And it's actually a little bit more special to come somewhere that people don't know about. You have to make a little bit of extra effort to get there. Many years ago, you you wrote a guide which helped people round many, many, many of the sacred sites of Ireland. And you're going to do, for me now, a little guided tour up to the Bochan Stone Circle. Once we get through this mud, oh my goodness, (laughs) this is well tramped by cattle and others. (laughs) We can see some of the taller Apparently. stones just that have been standing up on their edge. And then a tumble of other stones. That's what it looks like from this distance. But I'm sure we can see a better formation as we get there. Well, quite a few of the stones have fallen now. And there are stones that are missing. But there's a lovely story that the stones that are missing from here were taken from here to finish off Stonehenge. So what age does that make, this monument? Well... Bronze Age, we're probably talking maybe 2000 BC, so 4,000 years ago. Let's just move into the centre and we have to walk over boulders which have been strewn about the place, great lumps of rock which are blue-grey, covered in, in lichens and just messed about everywhere. But if we look to the outer edge of this circle, which is, what would you say its, its diameter was? 20 metres? Yes, across. Some, something yes. like that, maybe 20 metres across. And there's the best of the of the standing ones are over on that side. And just look how different they are. Mm-hmm. And some of that will be because perhaps some has sheared off in a very heavy frost, you know, when, the st- when water's got into the stone. But also we know that different stones had different shapes. For different reasons. For different reasons. So we have, which almost looks like the pike of a spear in that stone. Mm-hmm. It's about five foot tall then a little short one but half that height the stone just along from it actually in a funny sort of way reminds me of in a show and the way you've got the neck and then it swells up at the top hasn't it yeah 
Yeah, I never saw it like that before. So possibly Bronze Age, the purpose for which can never be determined, as is with many of these sites. It can never really be determined, except that you just would have a sense that they were somehow interacting with the totality of what they understood the world to be about and life to be about. Mm. And it's not so much ceremonies or religion or that kind of thing. It was just their response and something they did in order to probably support the sun in rising or the rain falling or the moon coming up or whatever was going on. You know, just their their way of being part of the cosmic landscape, really. Donegal wouldn't be known for stone circles. In fact, this is probably the only real one that there is. And I think it probably wasn't recognised for a long time that it was here. What do you think about when you come into places like this? How does it make you feel? I suppose I feel really, really privileged that this place is here. It's sitting here. I don't have to ask anybody. It's right here in the landscape, inviting anyone who wants to to come and visit it. And you step in here and you're stepping into stones that were put here maybe 4,000 years ago by people who were our ancestors, people whom we can never really understand. But we can stand here and just allow the sense of them to come into us, as it were. And you walk away with something inside your head when you come to somewhere like this, you know, and maybe you'll tonight... You go to bed and you lie down and you you just you, you still have it you know you still have it inside your head and it's just it's really special you know it's better than books <laughs> definitely I've come right round the top the northern shores of Inishowen and headed down the east and it is almost like stepping into another climate because of the blast of the wind that we're getting on this eastern edge of Inishowen and I'm looking out across Loch Foyle in the company of Adrian Harkin. You run a, a canoe business here and I know we had hoped to go out onto Loch Foyle but when you look at those waters there... Helen, they're hard getting out because everything's just pushing you straight back on the shore. A bit dangerous, but... to say the least. And we're looking out across the waters of Loch Foyle and Andrew Sides, you're with the Locks Agency, you're with us as well. And... The peninsula is bound on both sides by two beautiful stretches of water. We had Loch Swilly on the west and now here we are looking out over Foyle and we look to Northern Ireland beyond and the beautiful front of Benevena Mountain, the cliff face there and the, the lowland agricultural land that lies below it and this great stretch of water in the middle. Just give me a sense of its shape and scale, Andrew. You're talking about six mile across at its widest point and uh, round about 15 mile north to south. And then, of course, at the far end, there's the narrow gap between the foil and the, the North Channel, the Atlantic Sea. And the whole lock, that's where you'll find your strongest tides there. But it's a great play area. It's great for playing in the kayaks, you know. With the currents down there, it gives a great sense of tidal races and everything else. For training sea kayak guides and stuff, the day is a perfect day for it. Even though the waters are wild, there's, yep. there's crests of white foam on the tops of the waves everywhere we look, and you can see how those waters being pushed from the east right up against us here. The geography of, of the Foyle Basin too has allowed the Loch Agency and other stakeholders, such as Adrian just Kayak, to develop a Foyle Canoe Trail, 
and also the East Inishon Sea Kayak Trail. Now this is uh, where you, you, you start here in the foil, but you go right round the top of Inishon. Right to the very, very top of Ireland, to <laughs> Malin Head, and in fact further on out, six miles out to sea, into the Atlantic, to Inishtrahull. Which is a deserted island, it's isn't it, off the an shore? island deserted in the 1920s, or evacuated in the 1920s by the government at that time. A lot of the people came ashore to live on Inishon, uh, most of them based around Glengad, which is further around the coastline towards Malinhead. The um, East Inishon Trail then runs the whole way from Culmore, just outside of the city of Londonderry, to Malinhead. And how many miles is that? Approximately 35 miles. Three, four days. It's nice paddling. <laughs> it's about bringing people into the place. Adrian, you started your business up really. What was it like then about people coming on to Inishon to take up these sorts of activities? People, when I first started here in Moville, the local people looked at me as if they were going mad in the head, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but once we started getting kids involved, the adults thought they were missing out and something, then everybody got involved. Now the whole community is actually behind the whole thing, you know, and they don't believe how well and how successful the place has become mm-hmm. over the four years, you know. What are you seeing as you're paddling? What takes your breath away no matter how many times you see it? The scenery is the first thing, I guess, to you. And depends how lucky we are on the sea life then. We normally, you'll see uh, seals, sea otters, and... If you're lucky, then you'll see the dolphins, the bass and sharks, the minky whale. Bass and sharks, we can paddle right up on top of their backs and touch their dorsal fins. And we can actually hold the dorsal fins, and as they move, you're moving with them. The seabirds coming in to nest in the summertime, the kittiwakes and puffins and razorbill and guillemot and fulmer. The storm petrel, who land only at night on Inishtra Hull to nest. And uh, they're an amazing bird, and, and quite often they're spotted by kayakers because they're not disturbed by the noise of an engine, for example, in a motorboat. In 2013, as Derry, London Derry celebrates being the UK city of culture, it's going to bring a lot of people in to the area. Do you think they will venture up this peninsula, come up the east coast and look at the waters and well, experience them the way you do? If they're interested in culture, they should be coming this direction you know, to experience the, the natural heritage and the the social heritage and the physical heritage. The rocks here along the shore at Moville near Adrian's base. Now you can see as we came up there the way they've all been upturned and fo- overturned by faulting. And that's created a great geology along this coastline that uh, kayakers can explore the caves and archways and gullies. You could sum up in a shown as being the most isolated part of the most isolated county in Ireland. And uh, it's the most undiscovered part of Ireland to my mind but something very deserving of discovery You actually look at the remnants of a plantation plantation period in um, 1775 I have records not for this immediate area of tree planting and it, how it was subsidised by the uh, English government at the time and the reason for the planting of the trees they never seen an end to the need for timber they were using it on shipbuilding and everything, and this caused, you know, alarm that they were actually important trees, so they're trying to plant their trees here. So the trees on the outer reaches of the, the woodlands, you'll see that they're old, they're gnarled, they're very big. But like human society, you get the old, the gnarled and the scarred on the outer fringes. These trees have been taking the brunt of the storms. 
were inside in the wood. The other trees are growing nice, tall, slender, safe and secure. But take away the old gnarled, twisted one and you've exposed the society mm-hmm. to the ravages of yeah. storm. So I feel as though I'm in almost like the inner core of the wood where the trees are shorter but there's a density of planting. So you look on either side of you and there's this mass network of branches and, and stems reaching out and crossing, you know, from one tree to the other. Yes. But it has a wonderful atmosphere. And the birds, and the, we have a great population of red squirrels here, for example. They're pretty well used, people coming, like myself, and feeding them. And again, I tell people, you know, you keep quiet and nice and quiet, you won't see anything. Slam the car door, it's the dinner bell. <laughs> people will, you know, the birds are watching and listening for this. This is called Lisnagra Wood, and I have come down the eastern side of the peninsula, down to the village of Muff, and then just headed up the hill a little bit into this woodland. And Desi McCallion and I are going to take a little bit of a wander round. You're doing what you do on a regular basis, Desi. This is pretty regular, yeah. I like to keep the, the animals and birds here have become, you know, pretty familiar with bird feeders. It's still a bit wet underfoot, so just clamber up onto the side and we'll take a walk through the trees, Desi. Yeah, I'm just going to put out some uh, ground feeding here now. Okay, we've yeah. dumped some into an old tree trunk. Yeah. So it's a nice wee feeding space. Yeah. And not to spoil them all together, scatter them on the ground. Look, they have, they've gathered above our heads. Yeah, They're almost tame. Look, I could almost reach out and touch. There's a chaffinch, a coltit, blue tits. Yeah. About 10, 12, 14 birds now gathered. The numbers are growing because of your arrival. And not put off by us at all. So listen to Grawood. What does that translate as? The most favourable um, translation and the most common one would be wood of love. Oh, I like that. The little light green shrubbery that you see here, okay, yeah. those are bilberries. That's a real spread of them there. Okay, yes. now, the third Sunday of July, it's called Bilberry Sunday still here in Inishown, okay, and it was a day of matchmaking. Boys and girls went off with the purpose of supposedly picking bilberries, but in actual fact it was matchmaking. <laughs> There's an awful lot of that going on then, you know. The history of the wood. Now, this is a man-made wood. As I'm looking out across now, you, you, you wouldn't get that sense at all because the trees are growing, you know, erratically here, there and everywhere. Yes. Some sort of lean to one side. There are many stemmed and a dense covering of moss. These, these misshapen uh, trees and the state that they're in is what they owe their existence to. They were no good for the purpose they were planted for. To build like ships or... build ships and, mm-hmm. you know, you've got that twist in them and thereby they survive. The peninsula of Inishowen is very often missed when tourists come to visit Ireland. They, they, they go to the honey spots off to the west of Donegal and they head then back towards, well, let's say the city of Derry and, and this year our UK city yes. of culture. They maybe just bypass Inishowen. People come, as you say, to the city of Derry and they have got this end-of-track mentality that we have arrived. Here where we stand here in Inishon, it's an area of about 400 square miles that juts off into the north, uh, right to Malin Head, the mm-hmm. northern point. And believe me, there would be maybe a week's activity here just exploring the little gems that we have here. In my visit to Inishon, I've managed to find some of the hidden gems, Desi, but there's an awful lot to this peninsula 
there are many stories to tell, there are places that are hidden away, things to discover. And you know it so well, you spent all your life here, you've walked it. At any moment, once you cross into any zone, you can stop anywhere and there's something worthwhile to see. The areas of any zone that are special to me, you know, they're nothing secretive about them, it's just knowing where to find them. This idea that um, we are on Inishowen, in a sense, in the hinterland, the back garden of the UK city of culture, do you think that will have a big impact on Inishowen when the thousands of people come to the city? Do you think they will step across the border into Inishowen and come to places like this lovely Lisnagra woodland? I think they will, Helen. I will really, they? really think they will because irrespective of going to visit any city, you know, there's got to come a time you want that quiet time out. There must be something else here. We're talking about thousands of people. Yeah. I think we have space for them here in any show. Think of it this way. The people who would go to the trouble of finding this wood are the exact same people that we want here. Your very presence here today makes you part of the continuing story of any show.